the 2020 MLB season will be one like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Hey, warm hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We have a wonderful show for you. As in the second segment, Alex Crow of 620 WTMJ. He does great work as a anchor, reporter, little bit of everything, gentlemen, over there. And as you know, 620 WTMJ, official home of the Milwaukee Brewers, Green Bay Packers, what have you. We're going to be talking about these postseason series with him, dive into a couple of the games for today with him as well. Always great to be able to get him on the podcast. Then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys a sign total on every game on Wednesday's MLB betting board and something you'd like to call touch them all. Always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast in the first segment as well. If there's something that you'd like to answer, fire it into my Twitter timeline at JRSquarty1. If you send these via direct message while the letters he and me mean does not matter. The biggest questions I got is because I was tweeting that I think that there's a little bit of a juice ball going on in Major League Baseball. I'm going to be hitting that in the recap here in a second as we take a look back at all four games that took place in Major League Baseball on Tuesday. So we're going to get to know these teams a little bit better, try to find some trends, and explain why I think that there is a juice ball going on. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. At one point during the postseason, we had a total of 40 innings played and 26 home runs hit. This was during the Tampa Bay Rays and the New York Yankees game, and that one wound up going the way of the Tampa Bay Hot Shell Rays as they were able to even up their series with the New York Yankees by a count of 7-5. And that means that for the year, the Rays are now 8-3 and three against the New York Yankees. Obviously, quite a few of those games came when the Yankees were a little bit banged up. But if you take a look at the Yankees, very curious to know what the situation is with regards to their pitching. Davey Garcia got the start. He wound up giving up one run over the course of an inning. I need to check back on Twitter after this podcast to see if there's any sort of an injury. But it seemed like he was an opener. And then J.A.F. came in. Two and two-thirds innings. He wound up giving up four runs, all of which were in, including two home runs. Garcia gave up one himself, but for half, he winds up going 69 pitches. Then from there, Adam Montevino gives up a run. Jonathan Luizaga gave up a solo home run. And then you wind up having Jonathan Holder and Nick Nelson do a solid job out of the bullpen with a scoreless setting apiece. And for the New York Yankees, the ball was flying off the bat of Sean Carlos San. He wound up hitting two home runs in this one off of Tyler Glass. Now, that is his second and third of the series. He has five hits so far in the postseason. All five are home runs. And for Glass, now, he wound up giving up those two home runs. Four runs in total over the course of five innings, but he was able to get 10 punch outs, and then the Tampa Bay Rays do what the Tampa Bay Rays do. They go to work in the bullpen. Nick Anderson, two scoreless innings, four punch outs in the process. Diego Castillo, scoreless inning, two strikeouts. Peter Fairbanks wound up giving up a run in the ninth inning, but he got two strikeouts, and he was able to close the door. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, they were hitting home runs all over the place. Mike Zanino, he wound up going deep off of J.F. Austin Meadows wound up going deep off of Mr. Luizga. Manuel Margot hit a ball that I thought was going to be a can of corn. A big reason why I do think that there's a juice ball. I mean, that thing looked like it was a routine fly ball, and it just carried out as he was able to hit a home run off of J.F. And then Randy Arozarena winds up getting a home run. His second of this series was a cast off with the St. Louis Cardinals. He certainly has been able to rise up. Speaking of rising up, that's what the Atlanta Braves are doing. They wind up taking down the Miami Marlins by a count of 9-5 for the Atlanta Braves. You just wind up seeing an absolutely crushed ball in this one by Ronald Acuna Jr. He goes deep off of Sandy Alcantara, and then you also had another pair of home runs in the seventh inning. Travis Arnault, 
He winds up going deep off of Yimi Garcia. And Dansby Swanson takes James Hoyt deep. This was a very interesting day for the Miami Marlins as Alcantara just winds up being left out there a little bit too long. Gives up five runs over the course of six innings. Yimi Garcia winds up giving up on those home runs. And then Mr. Hoyt does as well. And then when you take a look at the Miami Marlins, they were able to get one massive home run off the bat of Mr. Miguel Rojas. He goes deep off of Max Fried for his first for Fried. He had given up three runs or fewer in every one of his starts going into this one. He gives up four over the course of four innings, but the Atlanta Braves bullpen, one that I was talking up with Dan Zaborski on this podcast yesterday, they certainly came through. Darren O'Day, Tyler Madzek, Will Smith, along with Mark Belanson, all had a scoreless outing. Chris Martin did give up a run in an inning in his one inning, but with that said, he was able to do a solid job along with this bullpen in general for the Atlanta Braves, and they find themselves now up on the Miami Marlins, who, by the way, when it comes to bullpen ERA, their bullpen ERA more than a full run higher than any other team remaining out there in the postseason. Now, we thought that the Oakland A's would have an advantage when it comes to their bullpen. Well, it turns out that the starter didn't allow the bullpen to be able to do what they do as effectively as the Houston Astros wind up taking down the Oakland A's by a count of 5-2. Ball was really flying in this one as you had Yusmero Petit come out of the bullpen, give up a home run for the Oakland A's. From there, you had Mike Miner give the team two scoreless innings, Joaquin Soria a scoreless inning, and Lou Trevino a scoreless inning, but damage had been done by the fact that John Manea gave up a pair of home runs in his four and a third innings, giving up four runs in total for the Houston Astros. Pair of home runs off the bat of George Springer. His first and second of this series, he had 14 during the regular season. Martin Maldonado also went deep off of Manea for Fran Barvaldez. Did a very good job of being able to induce some ground balls. Now, he gave up two home runs himself, but they were both solo shots in seven innings. And then from there, Inoli Paredes along with Ryan Presley were able to close the door for the Oakland A's. They wind up training just one man on base. They certainly were having a little bit of a miserable time with their offense if it wasn't for home runs. Chris with the K Davis, his second home run of this series. And then you also had Chad Bender going deep off of Fran Barvaldez as well. So they were able to get a little bit of something going. But now the Oakland A's are going to be facing a do or die game three because if they wind up losing that one, their season is over. We have seen this quite a few times from the Oakland A's to say the least. And we have seen the LA Dodgers dominate time and time again. They have not won the World Series in quite a while, but they wind up getting off to a nice start in their series against the San Diego Padres by a count of five to one. This is the one game in which you might be able to challenge the juice ball theory because we did see a couple balls that were hit very hard, including one from AJ Pollock that it looked like they were going out and then they just sort of died. It almost felt like there was a different ball out there at Globe Life Field rather than the other three ballparks. Now you do want to note that the new Globe Life Park has been very, very pitcher friendly. Now that could be because the Texas Rangers just have a poopy offense. It could be because of the roof. Many different things going on there, but for the Dodgers, they wind up stranding 11 men on base, but they are able to generate five runs on four hits just due to generating seven walks. They did a great job of just being able to get to the Padres, and a lot of that is because Mike Clevenger just did not give the length that the Padres were hoping for. He went one inning plus two pitches in the second inning. He left just because the pain was too much for him. He gave up three walks, but he didn't give up a run. And from there, you had Ryan Weathers make his MLB debut. I don't think he's ever pitched past like high A baseball. He winds up coming in for four outs. He doesn't give up a run. Pierce Johnson was able to give the team four outs as well. You had to have Mr. Tim Hill come in for two outs. You had Austin Adams come in out of the bullpen. Garrett Richards gave up two of those runs. Matt Stram gave up two more of those runs as well, so didn't necessarily go well for them. And then you had Craig Stamen come in for four outs. He didn't give up a run. And then you had Luis Patino come in for an inning. He didn't give up a run. And for Hill, he did give up a run, but it was an under run for the Padres. You had a Jake Cronenworth air really cost the team as well. And for the Padres, they had a couple balls that were at art, and they didn't wind up leaving the yard as well. Six men left on base 
ace Walker Buehler. Not necessarily a clean four innings, but in four innings, he was able to punch out eight. He gave up one run in the process. He's been dealing with a little bit of a blister, and it looks like Dustin May is now the Kenta Maeda for the LA Dodgers. Two scoreless innings out of the bullpen. Victor Gonzalez was able to give the team a scoreless inning. Kenley Jansen got the final two outs, and Blake Tryon four solid outs. So that's what we all saw from Major League Baseball on Tuesday. Now let's take a look forward to Wednesday and just get a little bit of reaction from Alex Crow, who does a terrific job with 620 WTMJ. That's what we're all seeing in the postseason in general as well. I'm obviously going to be asking him about the juice ball theory as well. So all that and more is coming up on the other side right here on the Baseball Bang Podcast. Myself, Craig Peters. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, and it is great to be joined by our next guest as he's joined me once before, and it is great to get him back on because this is a man that I went to college with, as it is Alex Crow joining me on the podcast. Does a great job as an anchor and reporter for 620 WTMJ. That is out there in the great state of Wisconsin, more specifically, city of Milwaukee. They're the flagship station of the Milwaukee Brewers, Green Bay Packers, so many others. He also does some work with the Great 98 that is out there in Mayville, Wisconsin. So he does a little bit of everything when it comes to covering news and notes in the state of Wisconsin. And you're able to follow him on Twitter at AlexCrow38. Crow is spelled C-R-O-W-E. Alex, great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, great to be on, Greg. Thanks for having me. And I know that the last time we were talking on this podcast, we were talking about the NL Central teams. That won't be the case today as they all want him getting eliminated. The AL Central as well, so just not a good year for the Midwest in general. And it's not been a good time of it if you like seeing great pitchers duels and 1-0 to zero games. Because in the divisional series of the postseason, there was a point at which we had 40 innings played and we had 26 home runs. I am calling the juice ball theory right now and I am saying it's worse than ever before. I don't know what you've noticed from viewing these games, but I think that without a shadow of a doubt, something has been done with the baseball, and it is flying at just absolutely insane rates. Yeah, if only the NL and possibly the AL Central teams could have gotten in on those juice balls. I don't know if they just decided to only give them to a certain amount of teams or what, but that was my biggest takeaway from the first round of games and the expanded playoffs this year was that, you know, especially the NL Central had four teams get in and boy, did they struggle to score runs. A lot of those teams, you can make the argument, didn't deserve to make it in in the first place, but man, the Central teams in particular really, really struggled to score runs this year. I mean, even look at what happened to Cincinnati. They put up zero runs in more than 20 innings of baseball against the Atlanta Braves and there was just not a whole lot of offense coming from the central teams in the playoffs this year (laughs) no not at all that was absolutely terrible as I believe that half the games that NL Central teams played in the postseason were them getting shut out that's just not a good representation whatsoever but what has been a very good representation is just what we are seeing from the Houston Astros, because they wound up seeking into the postseason with a record below 500. They weren't getting anything generated on offense whatsoever. We were all lauding the Oakland A's for their great bullpen, things like this. And they've come out and they've been able to take a 2-0 to zero series lead. Not sure what you've made out of them, but it certainly is fascinating because this is a team that they look very rudderless. 
towards the end of the regular season and now in the postseason, it just seems like they're on a revenge tour and they're really looking to silence some critics. Yeah, it's really interesting, especially because, uh, you know, in this divisional round, they've been able to put up a lot of runs so far and that was sort of their Achilles heel in the regular season. They were just above the league average and I mean just above the league average of 279 runs total scored per team this year and uh, Houston was at, uh, or excuse me, the average was 278, Houston was at 279. So, they were really middle of the road when it when it comes to scoring runs during the regular season. But I think, Greg, the biggest thing that we're seeing so far in this postseason, and I think you'll probably agree with me, is that, you know, postseason experience matters, especially in a season where you have a shortened regular season. Your guys don't get to go in the same rhythm as they normally do. It gets to the postseason, even if it's a little later than normal. And these teams that have postseason experience are really starting to shine through. You talk about the Astros not only doing it against the Minnesota Twins, who had a great regular season, but then going up 2 nothing against the Oakland A's, who really, really battled out in a great series, my favorite series of the opening round, the Oakland A's against the Chicago White Sox. And Oakland has just looked dead in the water since, since they got going up against Houston right now. But you look at the other teams, too. I mean, the New York Yankees going out and winning game one of their ALDS against the Rays, even though the Rays looked to be far and away the better team during the regular season. The Atlanta Braves as well. I think these teams that particularly made it into the playoffs last year and now this year are able to rely a little bit more on that experience. It's really, really showing through during this weird 2020 season. I agree. As we do have Alex Crow of 620 WTMJ joining me on the podcast. And I'm glad that you brought up the Atlanta Braves because Game 2, which is going to be going down on Wednesday, I think is going to be a very intriguing one. You've got Pablo Lopez, who's going to be going for the Miami Marlins. He had a pretty solid year, right around 6-4. and four, But he also was a starter in the game in which the Miami Marlins allowed 29. Yes, 29 runs to the Atlanta Braves. That's more runs than the Atlanta Falcons scored at any game during the 2019 season. And then you've got Ian Anderson, who's going to be going for the Atlanta Braves. He's the opposite of an experienced starter. This is someone that he won three and two during the regular season. Looks very solid, but six career MLB starts. He's never performed in the postseason. What are your thoughts on this one? I'm seeing the Miami Marlins as a hefty underdog, right around plus 175. So bookmakers are certainly thinking that the Atlanta Braves experience in the lineup is going to be coming through. But I do think that the Marlins have a decent shot in this one because I do think that the starting pitching is going to be able to stay at bay. And with the Miami Marlins as well, even though it's not necessarily experience when it comes to the postseason with them being on this specific team, you take a look at guys like Jesus Aguiar, someone like a Brett Anderson, Miguel Rojas. These are guys that have been in the postseason before. Yeah, definitely. I tell you what, though, I think it comes down to, you know, how much offense you have in the postseason. You look at all these teams that are still there right now, and basically, except for the Astros in the regular season, these are all teams that were able to put up a lot of runs in the regular season. I mean, the Braves have such a good offensive lineup. Freddie Freeman, it's an MVP conversation, and he's not even the best hitter on that team, in my opinion. And so the Braves, I understand why when you have a guy like Ian Anderson starting who doesn't have a ton of postseason experience, but man, when you have that lineup behind you, the ability to score runs, you're able to make some mistakes. And when you think about the opening round, you talk about the Marlins, that's what really did the Chicago Cubs in, just their inability to score any sort of runs when it got to the postseason. And Miami looked like such a good team simply because the Cubs were able to let them get there. The Cubs were not able to score any runs. All it took was a couple of runs, and and the Marlins walked away with that series. 
That's not exactly the case against the Atlanta Braves. That's a team that's going to put up four or five, six runs per game, and your 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 offense is going to have to match that. And I just don't know if the Miami Marlins have that offense that's going to be able to match the firepower coming from the Atlanta Braves right now. I think that the Braves should be able to uh, to take that game pretty easily. I think the folks out there with you in Vegas, Greg, got that one right. And I'm seeing a total on this game that is right now right around eight and a half. That is one that I certainly took over as. We are just seeing a whole plethora of runs right now in this postseason. That, so that's certainly something that I've been taking a look at. And what else I think is going to be very fascinating is going to be game three of the series between the Tampa Bay Rays and the New York Yankees. We've got two experienced pitchers. Charlie Martin is going to be going for the Tampa Bay Rays. Masahiro Tanaka is on the bump for the Yankees. Now, in this series, we've seen the Rays be able to get some home runs. Randy Arozarena. Yes, the St. Louis Cardinals cast-off outfielder has really been able to get the job done for the Tampa Bay Rays. You don't necessarily have the big bombers that the Yankees do because obviously John Carlos Stanton, some of those home runs that he was hitting on Tuesday, those are just vulgar displays of power. Luke Voigt wound up hitting 22 home runs during the regular season. Having Aaron Judge back is big, but with the Tampa Bay Rays, what you love about this team is the bullpen. We have each of the top four bullpen ERAs are actually still alive in the postseason. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Rays fall into that category. And for the New York Yankees, very curious that they wound up going with Davey Garcia for one inning, and then they wind up getting approximately 69 pitches out of J.A.P., and they just wound up having to use a whole bunch of arms from there. And I do think that that's going to give the race a little bit of an advantage, because as we were pointing out, the juice ball is flying out for both of these teams. With Charlie Morton, I have a little bit more faith in him just because with Tanaka, he's not going to walk you. But at the same time, he was still giving up a bunch of home runs during the regular season himself. And this is just not a good time for fly ball pitchers. No, not at all. And you're right. When it gets this late in the postseason, the difference maker really is how strong of a bullpen you're able to put together. And we've seen that both you and I being from Wisconsin with those Brewers teams in recent years. They could have some games where they'd go just, you know, pitch by committee and still end up getting wins because they had such a strong bullpen for a number of years. That really, really makes a difference when you get into the postseason. But man, you look at a team like the New York Yankees, fourth overall in total runs scored during the regular season. They were just behind the Dodgers, the Braves, and the Padres. And those are all teams we think about just hitting bombs every single time they go out there. The Rays, obviously, a little bit less, 289 runs during the regular season, but you're right. They, they got it done mostly with their starting pitching. The question is, is that starting pitching going to be able to hold on long enough to make it to those fantastic bullpen pitchers, or are the Yankees batters going to get to them far and away before that happens? So I think you're right in saying that we'll probably see an overhit in that game, but I don't know, Greg. I, I think you're, you're onto something with call it the juiced balls or whatever you want to call it, but there have been a lot of runs scored this postseason, and that leads me to think that the teams that have more experience scoring runs during the regular season, the teams that hit better, maybe have a little bit better chance in this postseason, and that's why I still like the Yankees to come out of this series. That certainly should be a very interesting one. That's one that I wound up writing up for the New York Post, as we do have Alex Crow joining me on the podcast. And then we are completely unsure what we are going to be getting for a starting pitcher for the San Diego Padres as we take a look at it right now. But I think we both agree. Clayton Kershaw had his best postseason outing ever. What do you want him going against the Milwaukee Brewers last week? This is going to be for game two of that series. As we're doing this podcast, we're a little bit unsure of the final between the Padres and the Dodgers from game one. But 
When I take a look at Clayton Kershaw, we speak of experience. This is his 10th postseason. He'd become the gentleman with the most postseasons to never actually win a title if the Dodgers don't wind up getting it done this year. It just feels like Clayton Kershaw has been dogged a little bit too much for his postseason gaffes. I really don't pin what happened in that Washington series last year on him just because he was thrown into a very awkward spot coming out of the bullpen. I do think that we're going to see the best of Clayton Kershaw, both in this game and moving forward in the postseason. Yeah, I'm very curious to find out how you how you feel about this, Greg, because I think that there are certain teams that have actually benefited from there not being fans or, you know, very few in the area versus what would normally be a full screaming stadium full of fans. And I think the Dodgers are one of those teams that have actually benefited from there not being a lot of fans in the stands. Clayton Kershaw seems to be a guy that can sometimes get inside of his own head. And you're right, he had the best outing by far of his postseason career against the Brewers. Now, it certainly helps when you're going up against a lineup that struggled <laughs> to score as much during the regular season as the Brewers did. I know that you were giving him a hard time on Twitter throughout the regular season, and deservedly so. <laughs> but I think that the Dodgers certainly benefit from there not being fans in the stands. And I think the Astros also, with Obviously, everything that happened with them and the cheating scandal and, you know, the way that MLB fans of 29 other teams united around (laughs) cheering against the Astros. I think the Astros are probably pretty beneficial once again to their not being fans in the stands, not having to go through that mental battle every every single time they come out. And it has really worked out in Houston and Los Angeles' favor so far this postseason. Oh, I am right there with you with regards to the Astros being by far number one when it comes to the team that benefited the most (laughs) from not having fans. I mean, that's not even up for debate. But to your point, I do think that it is certainly a strange year, to say the least. I do think that there's a little bit of a benefit for there not being fans. But what I think has really helped out the Padres as well is just this strange 60-game season because... Just getting to the postseason, I felt like was a little bit more difficult for these veterans just because they're used to, oh, I should be right here in August. I should sort of be right here when it comes to September. And the season was just completely thrown off. Whereas these younger guys, they're not used to a 162 game grind. They're a little bit more malleable with that regard. So that's why I do think that we saw the White Sox really be able to excel and tell about the last week, week and a half of the regular season. And then they fall apart against the Oakland A's. That's why we're seeing the San Diego Padres here. They were able to survive and advance against the St. Louis Cardinals. So I do think that it's a little bit too pronged. I think that a little bit of it has to do with the schedule itself. And a little bit of it has to do with the fact that we've got no fans in the stands right now. Yeah, that's interesting because I almost feel a little bit like it's helped a young team like the Padres. But when you look at a lot of their teams that are in there, they're teams that have some postseason experience. The Braves, the Astros, the Yankees, the Dodgers. But then you look at teams like, you know, the Marlins, who that team was just thrown together this year and dealt with so much adversity. You're right, the Padres that are such a young team, the Chicago White Sox that were such a a young core of guys coming into and playing their first postseason together as a unit this year. There's something to be said for those older veterans. You look at a team like the Cubs that have been there, won it, and then those guys never quite seemed right after about the first week of the season, right? They jumped out to a huge lead in the Central and then kind of flirted with it the rest of the way through, let the Cardinals come right back in. And so we're kind of seeing almost two different things, right? So teams like the Padres, which have younger guys, aren't dealing with any pressure. They're playing with house money the entire way through. But then you see a team like the Dodgers that have such postseason experience and they have such a strong lineup. 
it almost doesn't matter what time of year those guys are playing. They're going to be a tough out no matter what. I agree with you, as we do have Alex Crow joining me on the podcast. And when I take a look at the Dodgers, I just see, in my opinion, the best team in baseball. They had the top ERA in the National League. They scored the most runs per game of any team in baseball as well. That's just such a lethal combo. You've got Mookie Betts, Corey Seager at the top. You've got a bullpen ERA that is number two out there in the big leagues. And when you just take a look at all this, if it were a three-game series in which they were playing against whoever comes out of the American League, I've got to think that it's probably going to be the New York Yankees at this point. Though I will say Bray's probably not out of the series, but when I just take a look at it, I just don't see a team being able to dethrone the Dodgers. I felt like in the National League, the Padres had the best shot of it. For Mike Clevenger, he was able to make the start in Game 1, but it looks like Denelson Lamette is not going to be able to go in this series. And with no Lamette, I just can't see the Padres having enough pitching. And I really just feel like this entire postseason is the Dodgers to lose. Yeah, you're right. All the way through, this has been the Dodgers' postseason to lose since the postseason started. And for some teams, that can be so much pressure it becomes unbearable. But for a team like the Dodgers, who have gotten so close and not been able to finish it, it's more motivation. It's guys that have all been there before. They know what to do. They get into the postseason. They get into rhythm. And you're right. I think that if it becomes a Dodgers-Braves NLCS, it'll be a great series with a lot of offensive firepower. Definitely take the over <laughs> in those games. But I don't know if the Braves have enough to get past the pitching from the Dodgers. And you look at the American League side, I agree with you. I think the Yankees have the best chance because of how many runs they're able to score. But Man, I just can't count out the Houston Astros, especially after going up 2 nothing against the Oakland A's, a team that feels wronged, even if, you know, the rest of the baseball world thinks they were in the wrong. It's something so powerful about creating your own narrative. And right there in the bubble, this Astros team, there's no outside noise, there's no fans, they feel like they did nothing wrong and the whole world hates them. And when there's that chip on your shoulder, it can be really dangerous. So I think We'll probably end up seeing Dodgers, Braves in the NLCS, Yankees, Astros in the ALCS. And boy, both of those would just be fantastic series. What a treat for MLB fans after the year that we've all gone through. I agree with you. 2020 has not produced a whole lot of good to say the least, but that would certainly be something. It is (laughs) one of those things in which I would absolutely love to see. And to your point, just taking a look at the human element when it comes to taking a look at these teams, taking a look at handicapping, it's a big reason why I wound up picking Virginia. During the 2019 NCAA tournament, after they had lost to the University of Maryland, Baltimore County the year before, you knew that they would come out with a chip on their shoulder. So I absolutely love what you're saying there about the Houston Astros. And speaking of a man that day in and day out, when he takes a microphone, he goes out there with a chip on his shoulder. That'd be you, Alex. You do absolutely terrific work out there with 620 WTMJ. You do some work with the Great 98 as well in the state of Wisconsin. I know you cover a little bit of everything. So let them give people at home know where they're able to follow you on social media and just what you're all working on in general. Yeah, thanks, Greg. It's Alex Crow 38 That's where you can follow me on Twitter. whole lot of stuff going on in the state of Wisconsin right now in the news department where I work over at WTMJ with obviously coronavirus cases spiking in the state of Wisconsin and a whole lot of stuff going on. And then, of course, for me personally, I'm getting married a month from today. So pandemic wedding planning is certainly uh, certainly <laughs> an interesting taxing task. But that's why I like to blow off some steam and talk some baseball with fantastic broadcasters like yourself. Well, that is absolutely terrific. I'm sure that you're going to be very, very busy to say the least with that. There is probably going to be, well, you always try to get the perfect wedding. It never really seems to turn out great. I would not know from experience. And I'm glad that I don't have to try to experience that within the next couple months because 
certainly is interesting and seeing how things are going right now well I might be still winding up in that neighborhood so there certainly is that but Alex is doing an absolutely terrific job keeping up with a little bit of everything and certainly a very occupied man so big thanks to Alex Grove for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast coming up next it is that time they give you a sign total on every game on the Wednesday MLB betting board and something you like to call touch them all Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to Alex Crow out there with 620 WDMJ out there in the state of Wisconsin for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on Wednesday's MLB betting board and something I like to call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Here we go with the normal disclaimer. Any changes there, maybe these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GRN41. We have an undetermined starter for the San Diego Padres as of right now with Mike Clevenger going one inning. Certainly is going to be interesting, so I'm not going to have as much on that game when we do get to it, but any changes are made will obviously be up on the Twitter feed at JarenScorty1, and as per usual, when we know a little bit more about that game, I will be posting up plays there, and we're going to be going in last week's rotation order, and this begins with 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board. Tampa Bay Rays and New York Yankees are doing battle out there in San Diego, as it is Masahiro Tanaka going for the Yankees. Meanwhile, Charlie Morton on the bump for the Tampa Bay Rays. If you're looking at the Rays, you're going to be getting a plus price, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115. If you're looking to lay it here with the Yankees, you're laying anywhere between minus 120 and minus 126. Total is 9 with the over at minus 115, pretty much across the board, and the under at minus 105. This is a play that I round up writing up for the New York Post, and I am all aboard the over in this spot. I mean, I am certainly staying true to my juice ball theory. It's just one of these things in which when you see 26 home runs in a 40-inning time span, and the pitchers are going our guys like Tyler Glass, no. You've got Sandy Alcantara, Max Freed, list goes on and on of trustworthy pitchers. It is very, very strange with the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a team that they've got some pretty functional offense. Randy Arozarena, someone that was a little bit of a cast-off with the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, he's really been doing a great job this postseason. He's hitting right around a 500 for the postseason. He's already got himself a pair of home runs in this series. Manuel Margot was able to get a home run off of j How that ball wound up going out, I have absolutely no idea. But when you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, G-Man Choi has been able to find a little bit of something. Austin Meadows, who has struggled all year long. He wound up going deep. Joey Wendell and Willie Adamas have been two guys that have been able to get on base all year long. And with the New York Yankees, no doubt this is a lineup that's able to mash. Now, Aaron Judge is only hitting right around a 100 for the postseason, but his two hits have both been home runs. And speaking of a man who said have all been home runs. Giancarlo Stanton, he has five hits so far this postseason. All have left the yard. It's absolutely insane. Gleyber Torres has been scuffling a little bit when it comes to the batting average, but when it comes to on-base percentages, postseason has been a rock with that regard. Now with the New York Yankees, they had a league average bullpen during the regular season. They wound up having to use up Adam Adovino in the loss on Tuesday. Got to figure that Zach Britton and Aroldis Chapman are going to be available, but they certainly had to blow through the bullpen as Davey Garcia gave the team one inning. J.F. two and two-thirds innings. He won approximately 69 pitches, so that depletes them with the Tampa Bay Rays. You certainly have to feel good about their bullpen. Now, Peter Fairbanks, along with Nick Anderson and Diego Casillo, all went 20-plus pitches. He 
can't think that those guys are probably going to wind up hitting the mound for game three, but when you take a look at what you're able to get out of someone like an Oliver Drake, when you're able to bring in Aaron Loop, Aaron Sliger's guys are all able to do a solid job and typically are able to give you multiple innings. You have to feel good about that when you get both of these starters on the mound as well. You can't necessarily feel terrific about either of these guys. For Charlie Morton, he's given up at least three runs in three out of his last four starts. He has went five innings or fewer in, I believe, every one of his last five starts. And when you take a look for the year, he has not went past five and two-thirds innings. So, got to think that the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen is going to be out in full force. And for Masio Tanaka, he's been getting Tanaka around recently. He has given up at least three runs in four out of his last five starts. And very uncharacteristic of him. Among active pitchers, he's in the top five with regards to few walks per nine innings. He has given up six walks over his last eight innings. He looked absolutely terrible in that game against Cleveland. Now, that obviously, that was a very strange situation. But the start before that against the Toronto Blue Jays gave up five runs, three of which were earned over the course of four innings. He just has not necessarily looked like himself. He gave up a home run in four out of his last five starts entering into this. I think that the juice ball is still on full force. And he gave up nine home runs over the course of 48 innings during the regular season. So, I think that we're going to get quite a few runs in this spot. I think that Charlie Morton is going to do a little bit of a better job of keeping the ball in the yard. I think that the Rays in general have a better bullpen. So I'm going to be taking the over in this spot, and I'm going to be taking the Tampa Bay Rays at a plus price. 915-916 on the betting board as we head to Dodgers Stadium for the Oakland A's and Houston Astros game. Jose Urquidy going to be going for the Stroves. Meanwhile, Asus Lazardo is going to be going for the Oakland A's. Total on this game is 9. Under is minus 120. The over is even. If you're taking a look at the Oakland A's, you're going to be getting anywhere between even juice and plus 110. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with Houston Astros, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 114 and minus 120. And with Jose Urquidy, ever since he's come back from COVID, regular and postseason, this is someone that has been very good. Well, it is regular and postseason because he wanted to make that start against the Minnesota Twins in the postseason. Wound up giving up just one run in four and a third innings. And in five starts in total, two runs or fewer given up in every one of them. So this is someone that has been able to do a very good job for this team. And when you take a look at Jose Urquidy, he has been hurt a little bit by the home run ball over the course of both the regular and postseason, a combined 34 innings. He has given up four home runs, but he's also only given up 10 walks. Now, the swing and miss stuff is not there. A combined 20 strikeouts between the regular and postseason, and this is an Oakland A's team that they don't necessarily do the best job when it comes to batting average, but when they make contact, they really generate the runs. They're in the top five of the big leagues when it comes to the amount of runs that they generate per hit. And then we take a look at Asus Lazardo. This is someone that wound up coming out and just not giving a good performance against the Chicago White Sox, but as we know, the Chicago White Sox wound up going 15-0 against left-handed pitching. For Lozardo, he expected the swing and miss stuff to be a little bit better. He's been able to give the team right around 64 strikeouts in just north of 62 innings. When you take a look at the recent form of Lozardo, and hasn't necessarily been terrific. He has given up three-plus runs in three of the team's last four starts, but I will say this, for the Oakland A's, they are going to have a fully stocked bullpen. you got to think that with them being down 2-0, to zero, it's going to be all hands on deck. You're going to have Liam Hendricks ready at a moment's notice. Jake Diekman wound up not necessarily doing the world's greatest job in game one, but he's going to be available. Guys like TJ McFarlane and company, they've been solid all year long. I think that the Oakland A's bullpen is superior to that of the Houston Astros, but with the Houston Astros as well, you've seen Anoli Paredes really being able to give this team a little bit of something. He did a terrific job out there in game one. He also was able to help the team out in game two, so that means that guys like Brooks Raley along with Andre Scrub. They're going to be able to come out and they're going to be able to give this team some solid time. And with the Houston Astros, this is a offense that prior to the series, they'd scored four runs or fewer at 16 out of their last 20 games. All of a sudden, the offense has been able to get going. How about George Springer? Two home runs 
in the team's win on Tuesday. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Jose Altuve all of a sudden. A man that hit 220 during the regular season. Alex Bregman was hot and cold. He's got a 444 on base in this series. Carlos Correa had five home runs during the regular season. He's already got three in this postseason, so this is a team that's heating up. And then with the Oakland A's, Tommy LaSalle has been a little bit rough for this team. He was really the only Oakland A that during the regular season hit north of a 250, but Marcus Simeon hitting a 571 for the series along with Chris with a K Davis. And Chris Davis being able to rise up is very big. He's already got two home runs in the team's last three games, and he's only played in three postseason games so far for this team, and he's been able to step up. He had just a miserable last two seasons, so that is something that you'd like to see. Now, Matt Olson continues to hit below the Mendoza line, but during the regular season, he gave the team 14 home runs. Guys like Ramon Laureano, Stephen Piscotti, Chad Pinder, they're not necessarily terrific when it comes to batting average, but they're able to find a way on base with Laureano not reaching base each other team's last two games. You gotta feel like there's going to be a little bit of regression there, and I do have the theory that the Oakland A's are going to be able to get a couple runs up on the board, but they're just not going to wind up hitting for a lot of average because we saw that come into play for the team on Tuesday as they wound up getting six hits, but they only stranded one man on base. Both of their runs came off of solo home runs. I think that we could see quite a few solo home runs, but I don't think that these teams are going to be able to string a whole heck of a lot together. I think that Lozardo is going to keep down the walks along with Urquidy, but I think that in the end, the Oakland A's wind up winning a solo home run fest in which it's going to be one of these situations in which the A's bullpen is able to win it for them. So I am going to be taking this total under and I'm going to be riding with the Oakland A's to be able to extend this series. 917-918 on the bang board is up next. The Atlanta Braves are going to be playing us to the Miami Marlins and they're not going to be playing us because this is out there in Houston. I always do that whenever I see a bottom team. But with that said, it is going to be Ian Anderson going into Houston for the Atlanta Braves. Meanwhile, Pablo Lopez is going to be going for the Miami Marlins. Your total on this game is between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, over juice of between minus 120, minus 125. Under is anywhere between plus 105 and even. If you're looking at the 9, the under is minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the Atlanta Braves, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 195 and minus 210. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the fish is anywhere between plus 175 and seeing as high as a plus 186. With the Miami Marlins, they did a good job of being able to generate some runs against the Atlanta Braves. And in 8 out of the 11 games that they played, against the Braves this year. They have scored four plus runs, so that has not been an issue for them. For Ian Anderson, he was terrific during the regular season. 3-2 record, buck 95 ERA. His postseason start against the Cincinnati Reds, terrific as well. Nine punch outs, no runs given up over the course of six innings, but you do have a feeling that the walks might catch up with him. He wound up in three out of his last four regular season starts, issuing three plus of them. He has given up a grand total of 16 walks over the course of 38 and a third innings between the regular and postseason, so that is something that is top of mind for me. He has been a little bit lucky in the fact that he's only given up one home run so far, and with the way that the ball is flying right now, I have to think that there might be a little bit of regression, much like there was for Max Freed for the team on Tuesday. And for Mr. Lopez, a little bit up and down the season, but he was able to give the team a 6-4 record, 361 ERA, 59 punch outs over the course of 57 and the third innings. He also kept down the home runs, only giving up four of them. Walks can sometimes be a little bit of an issue with him, as he has given up at least two walks in four out of his last five starts, but against the Atlanta Braves, he has been very hit or miss, as in one of his last five starts, he wound up giving up 
a whole bunch to the Atlanta Braves. He was the man that wound up starting that game in which the Miami Marlins lost 29-9. But in his most recent start, this would be on September 24th, he wound up avenging that start. He went five scoreless innings against the Atlanta Braves. So it truly has been the best of times and the worst of times for him against the Atlanta Braves. I don't think that the Braves are going to be putting up 29 runs in this one. At the same time, I don't think they wind up losing 4-2, much like we saw in the last start that Lopez had against them with the Miami Marlins. It certainly is a rough bullpen. We certainly saw that rear its ugly head on Tuesday, but when you take a look at this lineup in general, you got Jesus Aguiar, Garrett Cooper, a pair of guys that hit right around a 280 during the regular season. Brett Anderson does a solid job of reaching base along Corey Dickerson. Miguel Rojas just absolutely destroyed a ball on Tuesday. It was very impressive. He's someone with nearly a 400 on base for the season. Lewis Brinson has been cooling down a little bit, but John Birdie is doing a good job of getting on base in them with the Atlanta Braves. They were the only team in baseball that had three qualifying hitters hit above a three. Our Travis Arano, Marcel Azuna, and Freddie Freeman. All these guys hit a 315 or greater with Azuna and Freeman. Both of these guys had on-base percentages north of a 430. Both of these guys wound up being in the top 10 when it comes to RBI in the league. Ronald Acuna Jr., also a man with four hundred on base stands. B. Swanson does a good job of hitting as well. Ozzy Albies was able to find it later on during the season as well. Austin Riley has been doing very solid in this series. And for the Atlanta Braves, what I think is a little bit critical for this team is the fact that they really had to dive into their bullpen because he expected a little bit more from Max Fried. He only gave the team four innings on Tuesday. So as a result, Darren O'Day, Will Smith, Chris Martin, Mark Melanson all came out of the bullpen. Now you're still going to have Shane Green available, but the real strength of the Atlanta Braves is their bullpen. They're going to have a lot of guys most likely unavailable for this game. I think that as a result, Ian Anderson sees a little bit of regression. The Miami Marlins are going to be able to get to him, so I am going to be taking this total over. I like Lopez to be able to give the Miami Marlins a good start, so that way they don't have to dive into as much of that bullpen. So we're going to be taking the fish at a plus price as well. And we wrap things up with 919, 920 on the betting board. The LA Dodgers are going to be playing against the San Diego Padres and that is going to be out there in Globe Life Park in Arlington. Clayton Kershaw is going to be going for the Dodgers. Good old to be determined is going to be going for the Padres. As of right now, we don't have any numbers whatsoever anywhere on this game. Got to think that the Dodgers are going to be a hefty favorite. And this is a spot at which, unless of the San Diego Padres wind up trotting out there to Nelson Lamette, who I don't even think is on the roster for the team, it's going to be a situation in which I'm probably going to be looking at some form of a run line with the LA Dodgers. Now, it would be very interesting to see, like, Mackenzie Gore wind up going for this team. I know that there's been a lot of speculation with him, but I don't think that he made the postseason roster as well. He was a very highly touted prospect. I would think that perhaps the element of surprise would be able to help out this team, but you got to think that someone like a Chris Paddock maybe winds up getting the start. Zach Davies should be good to go as well. You're going to have to throw out there one of these two guys within the near future, and then if you don't wind up going with either of those guys, you have Adrian Motohone, and that is not necessarily what you want. Got to expect the Dodgers to be a big favorite as a result, and for Clayton Kershaw, we talk about his postseason struggles, and they are real. He's got north of a 4 ERA during the postseason, but man, did he look good against Milwaukee Brewers. 13 strikeouts, 8 innings pitch, 3 hits, and a walk given up. Now, the Milwaukee Brewers have been very poopy all year long, but I certainly do like the way that Clayton Kershaw is pitching in general, and he's given up 9 walks so far this year in 66 and a third innings. And he also did a solid job of keeping the ball in the yard in these 66 and a third innings all year. Eight home runs given up. He just doesn't get taken deep very much. Now, we do know with San Diego, got to feel like the bats are going to be out a little bit more than they were in game one. Just felt like everything was dying in game one. You got to feel like that's going to turn around a little bit with Trent Grisham, Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado. All these guys are able to go yard. All these guys wound up having a double-digit amount of home runs for Tatis Jr. He has really been able to find it in the postseason. He and Will Myers both 
both had a multi-home run game against the St. Louis Cardinals in Game 2. Tommy Pham was very cold during the regular season. He was dealing with a lot of injuries, hit only a 211 during the regular season, but was big for the team during that St. Louis series. Now, you do have to like the fact that Austin Nola was able to give the team a hit on Tuesday as well. He's been not necessarily himself ever since getting to San Diego, and for Jerickson Profar, he's been able to turn it around as well. But then when you take a look at the Dodgers, they did a great job of playing small ball in that Game 1 win. Four runs in the sixth inning. They really didn't have an extra base hit to speak of in that inning, if I remember correctly. But you've got Justin Turner down for what? Corey Seager and Mookie Betts. All guys that during the regular season hit at minimum a 290 for Betts and Seager. They both wound up giving the team 13-plus home runs. You've got to love what you're getting there. Will Smith is a man that had an on-base percentage during the regular season of about a 400. Now, Max Muncy, along with Jock Peterson, both of these guys hit below a 200 during the regular season. Cody Bellinger at 240, but it seems like the tide is shifting for all these guys. Kike Hernandez, it's been a little bit cold throughout the season, but Chris Taylor, I think, is a nice little X-factor during the regular season at a 270 with 8 home runs at 32 RBI. A little bit of an underrated guy that is right now hitting ninth for the team and for the LA Dodgers. Despite the fact that Walker Buehler only gave them four innings, their bullpen is in a whole heck of a lot better shape than that of the San Diego Padres. As Mike Clevenger, they were hoping for a good start from him. He only went one inning. So as a result, you had not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, but eight different relievers come in for the San Diego Padres. Every last one of them wound up throwing at least 10 pitches, all but two of them threw at least 13. That is going to put this team majorly behind the eight ball. Whoever winds up starting for the Padres is going to need to give them length. For the Dodgers, they did wind up having to go into their bullpen a little bit as well. Dustin May seems like he's going to be in that Kenta Maeda role as he wound up giving the team two innings. You wound up having Victor Gonzalez with, as one person pointed out on my Twitter timeline, some very interesting stuff on his brim, but he was able to give the team an inning. But for the Dodgers, you're still going to have Jake McGee available for this team. They did wind up using up Kenley Jansen on Monday, which is actually a little bit of a good thing because he can sometimes be a little bit spotty, but now you're able to rely upon Bersuda Gratterall, Joe Kelly, along with even a Dylan Floro out of the bullpen, along with Jake McGee. So I really do like where this Dodgers team sits with regards to the series. Total, it's really going to depend because if I'm seeing a total that is similar to what Game 1 closed at, at like a 9, I certainly would be taking it under. Not because the Padres have a bad offense or anything like that, but I just think that Clayton Kershaw is a man on a mission, and it would really be up to the Dodgers to score a touchdown plus in Game 2 to be able to push that over. Just what I'm thinking right now. Now, if the Padres wind up just throwing out their Craig Stamen, who wound up being in relief in Game 1 to start in Game 2, then we might be looking at a little bit of a different situation. But I really don't see, other than like some miracle happening where I'm going to be taking any team other than the Dodgers when it comes to the spread. Check back in the morning on my Twitter timeline at Jarrett's 41, but that's where I'm leaning right now on that. And that is the podcast for today. Always love to be able to break down all these games. We have to cherish it while we still have it. I always cherish great interviews, and Alex Curl always gives that. Big thanks to him for joining me. Does great work with 620 WTMJ. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Bang Podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And if you have a big question for the podcast, feel free to fire that into my Twitter timeline at Jarrett's41. Hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.